Radio shouting. We have this thing where if we dress the right way, don't say I got pants, speak proper English, <laughs> we're going to get treated equally. Dr. King and all the brothers and sisters in the 60s, they had on church outfits and they were getting dogs sicked on them, bricks thrown at them, and water hoses put on them. I caught up the station, it's about that time for Fila. Most likely he a small fry if he was stamped by Beehive. It's one in one station only, they got the streets on fire. So please do not touch the dial, cause we film and go live. Yeah, yeah, you know we live from 285, man. And of course, you know it's your boy, B-High. Radio shouted, man, and stepping in the building. I got an author, a lecturer, a director, filmmaker, Tariq Nasheed. What's good with it, homeboy? I'm good, family. How you doing, man? I mean, I'm feeling good, feeling great, man. I mean, let's get straight to it, though. Hidden Colors. Yes, sir. How did that come about? And what made you say, you know what? I need to put this information out here for my people. You know, what made me want to do that, man, is just watching the plethora of shows that we see on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, the American Movie Classic Channel. We see history nonstop on television, in movies, the movies 300, mm-hmm. Alexander, but we never see our story. The black experience, mm-hmm. it's like it don't even exist mm-hmm. beyond slavery and civil rights. So I wanted to fill in that blank and tell the real story about our history from our perspective mm-hmm. so that it can be told correctly. That's right. So that, that's the thing that brought it about. What has been the reception to Hidden Colors ever since you started dropping it? Man, when the Hidden Colors documentary first came out, we didn't know what the response was going to be. I remember being in the, the movie theater yeah. when it first came out, mm-hmm. and I'm like in the back, like biting my nails. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is going to sink or swim right now because exactly. we put a lot of money into it, mm-hmm. which a lot of folks don't do. That's another thing, man. A lot of us, man, we don't put no money into black history. Ooh. So this is why our story doesn't get told on a grand level. But exactly. I, I got the money together, put it out there. And when the movie came out, people just flipped out, man. They were just shocked that this information was out there. Now, a lot of us who are conscious, mm-hmm. we knew about the John Henry Clarks, the yeah. Dr. Benz and yeah. all that. Yeah. But we live in a culture now where we need information fast. We live in the music video culture where we don't, a lot of people don't want to read books these days. You and that's a lying. reality. That's a reality. So I, I put all the information that we've been learning from some of those great scholar warriors in mm-hmm. bite-sized nuggets mm-hmm. so that everybody can see it mm-hmm. and grasp it and relate to it. What made you get the cast of intellectuals that you got on there together? How did you go about picking the people to speak? And I got a lot of folks that I admired. Like Frances Cress Welsing, that Mm -hmm. woman was, she's like an idol to me. That's right. Man, brother Phil Valentine, Mm -hmm. um, brother Booker T. Coleman, who's now Kaba Kamene. Mm -hmm. I got a great young brother, Umar Johnson. These are people that I watched and I studied and I admired. And I got them in the films, man. And they just... I introduced a lot of these people to a brand new audience. Yeah. Because yeah. some of the these brothers and sisters, they had stopped lecturing. Yeah. Because they lectured during the, the 80s and the 90s, so they kind of retired. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of them out of retirement, put them out there for a new audience, and now they're touring all over the country these days, brother. Exactly. All, and not just the country, all over the world. During and your time of doing your researching and, I mean, interviewing and stuff like that, what were some of the things that kind of shocked you when you were starting to uncover all of these hidden colors? You know what, when... I would travel a lot. That's another thing that made me want to do the film. When I would travel myself personally and go to different countries, I would see an African presence in certain places that I never knew we were there. I would go to places like Hawaii and see people who look like we look over here. That's right. I would go to parts of Asia and see people who look like us, and I would wonder, how come they don't show these people on TV? Mm -hmm. So that let me know that there was some type of conspiracy to hide this information, to hide this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that made me want to dig deeper. And when we were doing the Hidden Colors film, Mm -hmm. a lot of our information is literally buried in in museums around the world. People were very shocked that I would even ask for the information 
because in Hidden Colors, you notice we have thousands of images. That's the thing. Right. We back up everything with images, documents, uh-huh. facts, and the whole nine. So we would go to museums and dig all this stuff up that was literally buried. That's why we call it Hidden Colors. And you know, it, some of the stuff shocked me. What was some of the resistance that you faced trying to get that information? Because I know people can just be giving that stuff yeah. up willingly. Man, they make you pay for it. I tell you that, man. They make you pay for it. Some of those pictures and paintings and stuff, yeah. they're like, okay, what do you need this for? What's this for? And we kind of downplayed it. Like, uh, yeah. this is like a student film. <laughs> you know, we kind of downplayed it a little bit. But yeah. they still made us come out the pocket for that information. Mm-hmm. Man, there are books out there. For example, I got some books from from Harvard, mm-hmm. some some. Um, old history books that cost like three, four hundred dollars each. Man. That's right. So these the books that that it's buried in, it's very expensive. So a lot of folks don't want to pay that money. But That's we right. went on and did it mm-hmm. and got the information. Now let's get to group economics. Yes, sir. You were talking about the financing of the film and stuff like that. I know you had to go through some group economics just to get that done. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. What we did, man, Kickstarter had Ooh. just popped off. Because uh. we did the first Hidden Colors. We started in 2010. It was released in 2011. Kickstarter just popped off. Not too many people knew what that was. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm going to use this forum to get some of the money for this documentary. So mm-hmm. we got half the money off Kickstarter. I funded the rest. Mm. And we just took off from there. And we continued to use the Kickstarter forum to to raise the money, some of the money for the film, because it takes a lot of money to make a movie. People exactly. think that you just get a camera and point. Man, I, I'm out here filming now, flying a camera crew around the country and driving and traveling in hotels, and, and then you got to pay the people, then you got to pay the for the images, and, and then you got to do reenactment scenes. Mm-hmm. That goes up, man. That's yeah. why movies are so expensive. So a lot of right. folks don't don't get that. Yeah. But but it pays off in the long run. I'm not complaining because we need this information, man. This, this generation... Nobody has taken the time to really think about what the next generation needs to learn. Mm -hmm. And this is why I did it for the next generation so they can get the information and run with it and build with it. Now, when it comes to economics, as small business owners and entrepreneurs, that's one of the biggest issues is trying to get that capital. Yeah. Where can we as a people go and find that capital to get stuff off the ground? We we can find it in our own pockets because we have it, brother. I was talking to brother Dennis Kimbrough. That's today. right. He's going to be in Hidden Colors 4. That brother is a beast with the information. Yeah. Because when we do these movies, we not only show history, mm-hmm. we show solutions, and we talk about the economic solution. Mm-hmm. So we were talking today about how we spend trillions of dollars collectively as black folks. The way we spend money, we spend more money than certain countries, entire right. countries, the black mm-hmm. population in America. Mm-hmm. So all we have to do is aggregate the money and start spending it on each other, and that's the answer. That's Our right. thing is we got the turn-up mentality. You can turn up every now and then, but let's handle our business, then turn up. Let's get a business going, then turn up. If we can raise all the money to go down to All-Star Weekend and Black Bike you Week. You in Atlanta right now, the yeah. strip club. Man, all, hey, all that strip club money, it could be all types of businesses on Peachtree yeah. with black faces inside of them. So we have the money, but we have to stop tricking it off all the time. <laughs> you ain't lying. You know, trick it off when you build something. I ain't exactly. knocking your trick, in, your trick bill. <laughs> Just build something, then trick it off. Don't do it in reverse. Exactly. You Question, how do we get our people to understand and really digest the knowledge that you're putting out here? Because a lot of stuff, it goes over people's head. Even though you put it really in black and white and there's no excuse for them not to understand it after they watch the documentaries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But how do we get the average brother that doesn't have a clue at all of what's going on to say, you know what, this film or this information is going to make me start a business and change my life and do better about my family and things like that. And what the thing is, what we do, we need enough people to say that because then that's what's happening. 
when enough of us start doing something, it'll be a trickle-down effect. That's the right. ball will get rolling. Remember, man, any revolution, man, everybody wasn't down with revolutions. When That's you look right. at Haiti, all the Haitians were not down with the revolution. But once those brothers and sisters like Toussaint Louverture, Bookman, and Dessaline, when they got the ball rolling, everybody else got on board. Right. In the civil rights movement, man, most black folks were not down with the civil rights movement. There's a real big myth. They holler yeah. now. They're like, oh, I marched with Dr. Martin Luther King. I was in Selma. Mm. Everybody was in Selma. Yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah. My grandfather is a preacher, and uh, he was in it back then, too. And he was like, B, I had four kids. He said, I couldn't go to jail. Mm-hmm. He said, I remember watching Dr. King catch hell mm-hmm. trying to get his own people to support him yes, and get the movement off the ground. So mm-hmm. he was like, I had to respect him and his father because they were able to galvanize a whole culture to go out there and make a change for our people. Now, in Hidden Colors 2, you said there was a war being raged on people of color. Yes, indeed. Could you expound upon that for me? Man, what we can see right now, man, when you see all these brothers and sisters out here getting beaten and killed by police officers, that's not a coincidence, bro. That's not a coincidence, and it's not fear. That's another thing. This whole nonsense about cops being afraid of black folks. Man, did you see when they shot Walter Scott? That cop wasn't afraid. That cop calmly looked over his shoulder and blew that brother away. That's not fear. That's warfare, and we have to look at it like that. That's what we're talking about, Hidden Colors 4. Mm-hmm. This is a war that's going on, mm-hmm. and we have to look at it that way and start thinking that way and, and get our money together to protect ourselves because that's what we can do now economically is protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think about the jail system? I got a partner right now doing Hurricane Katrina. He was a business owner and everything else. Once again, the floods came, went to the gas station with his family trying to survive because, you know, all chaos. And hell had broken loose. Mm-hmm. Got into a situation with the police. Now he's serving 35 years. Mm. Real Joyner Willis for attempted murder on a police officer. No fingerprints on the gun. The officer that was originally shot said he didn't know who shot him. Mm. But mm. he's in jail right now. And he was an upstanding brother in the community before Katrina hit. Mm. So mm. what do we do for our brothers that's locked down, and how do we prevent that from happening? And the ones that are in there, how do we help them to get out? That goes back to economics. The reason why we're being targeted, because we are economically weak, Mm -hmm. and we're vulnerable, and we do not aggregate our money, and they're going to target the weakest people. Mm -hmm. The jail system is a money-making endeavor. Let's understand that. They make Man, the private prison system is big dollars, man. They got certain websites where the prison system, they advertise their services to compete with China. They're like, don't use Chinese labor, use our labor. You understand that? A lot of times when you call people on like AT&T or whatever, I'm just giving an example. Yeah, I'm with you. A lot of times those are prisoners. Those are not East Indian call centers. A lot of these call centers are in prison now, so they use prison labor for a lot of stuff. It's mandatory to work in prison. A lot of folks don't know that. When you go to jail, it's mandatory to work or you go to solitary confinement. So the prison industry is real big and we're getting targeted because we don't have businesses. We don't have an economic base to buy the politicians because when you buy the politicians, you can buy the police unions. And these police unions are very powerful. We see up in Baltimore with the prosecutor, the the strong sister warrior came out and filed those charges against the cops. Mm -hmm. The unions are going after that sister heavy. The same day, the unions, Mm because we always overlook the unions, Mm -hmm. they put out a press conference saying, hey, we're trying to get her out of office. So we got to use our money to get these unions in check. And we also need to get black police unions. I was doing a lecture telling people about that, the importance of black police unions Mm -hmm. that we can fund so they can police our community so we don't get targeted and shot every day. What also scares me, though, because it goes back to the movie Boys in the Hood. Yeah. When he got jacked up by that black police officer, and Mm -hmm. that black police officer told him, I hate you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's starting to look like it's a blue against black. 
Hmm. Not even just the white against black. The police are just really going after people. And it's not, you're looking at the situation, you're not seeing any police officers standing up and saying, hey, y'all, we're killing our people. We got to stop this. I've yet to see that. Well, what's happening is police officers are getting targeted, too. There was a case that was happening this week where some cops, it was, um, I want to say New York or Ohio, is one of those cities up there. This just happened where there were some undercover police officers. They had bulletproof vests. It was four of them, four Hmm. black officers. Somebody called the police on them, and the police came and drew the guns on the black officers. <laughs> now, they're fouling a lawsuit now talking about discrimination. So Ooh. racism trumps all of that, brother. We live in a system called white supremacy. Talk to me about and, it. And, brother, the system of white supremacy dominates all form of people activity, labor, law, education, everything that we engage in. And we have to look at that and hustle around that. Already. Now, what do you have to say about the whites from John Brown to your Freedom Riders all the way up until now that did work with black people to try to help overcome these oppressive forces? Hey, man, much respect to them, man. Much respect to them for, for doing the right thing. That's why I always say we live in a system of white supremacy, and the white supremacists are the ones that are doing the dirty deed. Mm-hmm. All white people are not racist, and all white people are not white supremacists. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the ones who do want to practice white supremacy, they are unfortunately more powerful than the ones who don't want to practice it. So we got to look at those who want to practice white supremacy. We got to look at the George Zimmerman juries. And speaking of George Zimmerman, this fool and got shot into in a he, somebody and shot him because I heard he was waving his gun again oh. at somebody w- during some altercations. So we got these psychopaths out here that these white supremacists let on the loose. Exactly. You understand? And now exactly. the karma is hitting them back again. Yeah. So people got to understand the price of white supremacy is going up these days. Whew. The feminization of black male. Hmm. What is your thoughts on that? Because it's getting worse and worse <laughs> every day. And yes, we indeed. We in Atlanta right now. Talking yes, indeed, about dude. I I saw a couple of big burly dudes and flip flops right outside coming in here, brother. And hey, shout out to my brothers. My thing is this: we are all under the system of racism, and a lot of times people will say, "Well, it ain't about race. Gay people get it too." And my thing is this: there were gay slave masters. A lot of folks don't want to talk about that. There were gay slave owners. This is well documented. There are lesbian white cops who brutalize black people. I've seen several cases. So there is no camaraderie with the gay lesbian community and the black community. We get used by them a lot of times. But as far as you're talking about the effeminization of black men, when you're in a system of white supremacy where you're being dominated and controlled, subconsciously that puts you in a feminine position or submissive position as a male, if you don't understand that system and how to overcome it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us, man, we fall into that trap mm-hmm. and you're not allowed to be a man. Mm-hmm. That's why they used to call black men boy all the time. Mm-hmm. They, they're they not going to call you a man. They're going to call you a boy. Even back in the, the Jim Crow days, they would always refer to black males as uncle. They wouldn't even say mister. Mm-hmm. That's too much. That's giving you respect as a man. Mm-hmm. So. As a black male, the white supremacist says you're either going to be a boy or a substitute woman in the system of white supremacy. And that's something that we have to overcome. Young black males, how do we reach out to them to let them know what they need to be doing? We got to show by example, brother. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. These young brothers out here now, they understand the game and they know that a lot of older black people are afraid. Mm -hmm. Older black people are scared to death to stand up against white supremacy because they want to carve out a little niche for Mm -hmm. themselves in the system of white supremacy and just kind of deal with it and let the the children fall by the wayside. And the children are acting out right now. That's why there's a lot of riots. That's why there's a lot of uprisings right now, because the children now are showing no fear. They're not trying to be respectable black folks as we were taught to do. 
because that don't work. We were never going to be in a situation where the white supremacists were going to treat us equal. Mm -hmm. We have this thing where if we dress the right way, don't say I got pants, um, speak proper English, (laughs) we're going to get treated equally. (laughs) Dr. King and all the brothers and sisters in the 60s, they had on church outfits and they were getting dogs sicked on them, bricks thrown at them and water hoses put on them. Mm -hmm. And they had on their Sunday's best and they were very college educated in the whole nine. Mm -hmm. So under the system of white supremacy, they're not going to treat you equal. So you treat yourself equal Mm -hmm. and create an economic situation to protect yourself Mm -hmm. from the violence of white supremacy. When it comes to education, yeah, how important do you think it is for a young male to get educated? Because a lot of folks, when you put it in a book, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to see it. They, especially in this video age where everything is 15 seconds. You better get me right now. I'm not going to sit down and read nothing. And then when you hear college or just uh, further education, they're thinking, I got to sit down and read and I got to take time out of my regular day to do that. I don't feel like doing it. How can we convince the youth to say, you know what? It's cool to be educated. I need to go and get this knowledge so I can bring it back to my community and make some changes also. Absolutely. See, the thing is, the no- education usually is not applicable Mm-hmm. To a lot of us, some, especially history. A lot of white kids, when they look at history, they see themselves. Mm-hmm. This is why the white supremacists will put their faces mm-hmm. on historic images. Mm-hmm. Even our African images, which mm-hmm. just like these movies showing Egypt, they're making the Egyptians white and making the Sphinx white and all that. The white children can see themselves in that, and that makes them more interested in it. Mm-hmm. They see themselves in George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. You just had the Lincoln movie. So who do we don't we don't see ourselves. With Hidden Colors, we see ourselves, and after Hidden Colors came out, a lot of young people wanted to hit these bookstores up. Bookstores thanked me all around the country for bringing business back to their their stores because their stores are being flooded with people getting those old books Mm -hmm. that we used to read back in the Mm -hmm. day. Now people are getting those books again after they've seen Hidden Colors. Personally, how does that make you feel? Because that is a large and a huge accomplishment to get folks motivated to get this knowledge and this information. It makes me feel great, and the, the work is not done. My thing is I want to keep on doing it because a lot of people will say, well, how come you keep doing the Hidden Colors series? Mm-hmm. Hidden Colors 4. Well, I'm like, hell, there's Spider-Man 7, um, Iron Man 5, Fast and <laughs> Furious 20, 5 to 13, 18. So you, you dig? So they got all these sequels to that. Mm-hmm. Don't complain about a sequel to a movie that's going to educate you. Mm-hmm. So we got to keep the thing going. I think sometimes when we get a victory as black folks, a lot of times we get very celebratory too Mm -hmm. soon. Just like I was in Baltimore. I did a town hall meeting in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And some people out there, they're tanks and there's military out there. Mm -hmm. And people out there having block parties, basically. They're Mm -hmm. out there just kind of having a little bit too much fun. And I'm like, hey, man, this ain't over yet. This is not over. This can go left at any minute. And it did go left a few days ago because somebody else got shot out there. Mm. So we got to stop celebrating so soon. And not jump and, and hop around over one little victory. We got a long road to go to empowerment. We got to continue the road of black empowerment. Blacks getting the code of conduct, self-empowerment, and black business owners. Yes, indeed. What is your thoughts on that? Man, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I call it melanoid empowerment. We need mm-hmm. to empower ourselves economically. We need to also travel and link up with brothers and sisters on the continent of Africa mm-hmm. and work with those brothers who the resources are there, mm-hmm. but they're not taught how to refine the the resources and how to distribute the resources. We have access to a lot of that knowledge that we could link up with those brothers and share and, and work with them with. We need to circulate our money around our communities. There are so many abandoned buildings and, and locations in black areas all around the country that we can clean those places up and, and start businesses. We get in this thing. I, I do my podcast, and I had a girl call me up and said, she said, well, Tariq, Floyd Mayweather got all that money. He need to 
open up some black businesses in Detroit. <laughs> I'm like, how come you didn't open up no black businesses yeah. in Detroit? And then she, she started stuttering. Ooh. Anybody can do that. Asians and Arab people who come over from China, Thailand, and, and the Middle East mm-hmm. come from shacks, save their money, and buy these abandoned buildings, and they start circulating their money, and they become successful. We can do the same thing. We just got to have the will and the way to do it. We're taught over here to just wait on the record deal. Mm. The African brother who comes over here, he ain't, he knows the record deal ain't coming. <laughs> That's why Jamaican brothers, the minute they hit the shore, you can't Working. stop them from making money because yeah. they know yeah. the basketball contract ain't coming. See, we're, we're waiting on the so-called American dream, mm-hmm. which is okay, but we have to get out there and work and build for ourselves. Mm-hmm. The American dream to black folks is basically find a white person who likes us, who will give us something. Mm-hmm. And we can't think like that no more. Mm-hmm. We got to look, like John Henry Clark said, look at that person next to you and re- realize that's the only friend you got. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think that poverty and things like that does on the psyche of young black people? Uh, just recently, over the weekend, me and my wife, we from the hood, 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 as I like to call it. <laughs> and uh, we were taking our children back through our hood just to show them the difference between where they live in now mm-hmm. and where we grew up at. Mm-hmm. My wife in the car, she want to start crying mm. because she's thinking, I didn't realize that it was that bad <laughs> until I started showing my kids where I came from. Mm-hmm. And the psyche to be able to overcome that in it, in itself is impressive. Yes, it is. But then the psyche of those that are still there that can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. Because in the same breath, my friends that did stay, and this is one thing that also stresses me out and scares me, we got serial killers in our own hood. Mm-hmm. I got people that are dying every year, and guess what? They ain't getting caught either. Mm. You see mm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We got people that are getting murdered every year. Some of them are fathers, some of them are businessmen, some of them are hustlers yeah. and drug dealers also. But they're being murdered by their own people, and nobody's being brought to justice for it, mm-hmm. and more people are dying. How do we get in there and try to fix that problem? Yeah. Because that's what's really hitting me close to home personally. Yes, and brother, I I lived in South Central L.A. Mm. I lived in Compton. Mm. I was out there hustling real heavy before I did the Hidden Colors. You did. People try to bring up my hustle background a lot, which I don't never hide from. That's right. But I used to get it in. But then I realized, I'm like, wait a minute. This is designed Mm -hmm. because... We would go in and out of jail back in the day, mm-hmm. but all the dope spots, everybody knew where the dope spot was. Everybody knew where the whole stroll was. Everybody knew where the um, chop shop was. Everybody knew who the person who had the hookups on the illegal credit card. So everybody knew that. So I'm like, if we all know it, I know cops know it. So how come the cops are letting this happen? Mm-hmm. Then I started to see the game for what it was. The hood is basically designed by the white supremacists. That's something that we're placed in. Mm-hmm. And they systematically create situations where black people are funneled into these deprived neighborhoods of resources. And they use that to funnel you inside of the prison system. Mm -hmm. That's a money making endeavor. They make so much money off the hood with not only the prison system, Mm -hmm. with the food stamps and and EBT cards. Mm -hmm. They make billions of dollars off EBT cards. Chase owns those EBT cards. So black poverty is a very profitable thing. Police officers make a gang of money policing those neighborhoods, get new uniforms, new cars. You hire a whole bunch of unemployed white people Mm -hmm. to work these prison systems. So black poverty is a money making endeavor. And when that clicked to me, I said, "Okay, let me get up out of here (laughs) (laughs) and and create a situation that we control. 
outside of the white supremacist influence as much as we can because we're still in a system of white supremacy. But you can protect yourself as much as you can and not fall for the traps of poverty that's set by the white supremacists. What was it that clicked in your head that made you say, you know what, I got to get up out of here? Um, man, there was a few things that, mm-hmm. that clicked. One thing, and one reason, man, a lot of us, we started hustling because we wanted to do something else and the opportunities really wasn't there for for the most part. We got to understand this because I don't like to make excuses, but obstacles are deliberately put in front of black people in America. That's a fact. They have all white unions that will go out of their way to not hire black people. Their studies show that showing that people with black names are less likely to even get your application seen. So uh, out of frustration, a lot of us say, man, damn this, I'm about to get out here and hit these bricks. Especially if you're a convicted felon. Exactly. And when you become a convicted felon, which is what they want you to do, it's a wrap. you can't vote. There's a lot of them. They keep you on those papers for a few years, for forever, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they keep you on those papers for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we got to understand that trap. Now, I got my record expunged mm-hmm. because, you know, I had a felony. Yeah. And, and I understood the game. I said, hold on, let me play this thing correctly because I fell into that trap. Let me dig myself out of that trap. And a lot of brothers out there, too, if you got a felony, you stay clean for seven years. You get that off your record. Mm-hmm. So understand that you can't you won't have a felony for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But I wised up to the game and said, OK, I'm not going to fall for this trap no more, because when you hustle, this, let me talk to my hustlers out That's there right. for a minute. One thing I tell dudes, if you in the streets, I'm not the moral police. In any hustle, man, the minute you get good in the game, you got to start thinking of an exit strategy. The problem with hustlers, you get in the game and the game gets good and you start getting lazy thinking that you're going to make that street money forever. And two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to get big. And when you get big, people are going to be looking at you. Law enforcement, they're going to be looking at you. The streets are going to be looking at you. Somebody in the streets going to try to take you out and somebody's already snitched on you. You're already in the law enforcement Rolodex. They're just trying to see how many other people they can get with you. All right? Understand that. So when you start making your money and you get a good stride, start looking at the exit strategy. Start figuring out ways you're going to flip yourself up out the game. Because a lot of dudes try to stay in the game forever, and then you get caught up, and then somebody pop you, one or the other. So you got to start thinking about exit strategies and stop falling for the tricks of white supremacy, man. It's, It's real out here. And understand this. Any people who are impoverished, and they are segregated, Mm -hmm. that's going to be a criminal society. Mm -hmm. The first gangs in America were European immigrants. There's a great movie, The Gangs of New York, talking about how the gangs got started. Those European gangs were about that life. (laughs) (laughs) But the minute they started giving them opportunities, they got themselves together. We haven't been given those opportunities, so we have to create those opportunities ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, as a writer... How were you able to get that book published? Yeah. New York Times, I mean, New York best-selling author, yeah. okay? Yeah. That's a dope, crazy mm-hmm. accomplishment. Yes, indeed. I know a lot of writers. I know a lot of people that got books inside of them. Mm-hmm. And when I tell them to go and write it, yeah. they're like, I need a job. Yeah. <laughs> I need to figure this out. And it goes back to what KRS-One was saying, too, mm-hmm. with people are working. Mm-hmm. You got those that are working that enjoy working. Mm-hmm. You got those that are working and they just going through hell while they work. Exactly. And you got those that are working to get to be to self empower themselves. Yes, indeed. How can we get people to write? And what were some of the steps that you took to become an author? Man, they always say, man, you write what you know. Exactly. That's the thing. You write what you know. So my first book was a book called The Art of Mackin'. Talk to me. I wanted to do it because I, I do relationship advice. Yeah. And I wanted to write a book 
teaching dating techniques that I share with my friends. That's what I knew. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the book. I got a book called The Literary Marketplace. It has all the names of every publisher out there. Now, remember, I don't know nothing about writing yeah. at all. You know, I just wrote in a very conversational style because mm-hmm. people, when they want to write a book, they say stuff, well, do I need to take a writing class? Uh-huh. I need to go to community college. When you say that, you're just trying to talk yourself out of it. You know I mean? People people overschool themselves. That's right. Stop overschooling yourself. You meet somebody, you know a whole bunch of people who's taken classes forever. They done took 20 classes. Every yeah. I got partners every time I see them. Man, I just got this student loan. I'm about to take this photography. Yeah, I'm about to take up this zookeeping thing, brother. You know, they got all types of <laughs> classes. <laughs> yeah, the pandas pandas need help, brother. You don't know. I'm like, all right, man. So they just use all of this these excuses to not get out there and do stuff. So I just started writing, man. I just wrote the book, um, got somebody to help me edit it, make sure all the words were correct. And I found a publisher in Chicago, sent it to them. They put it out, and the book sold 250,000 copies, became a New York Times bestseller. I got other book deals with the major publishers because of that, and my writing career took off, took off from there. So you just got to get out there and do it and just take your time to do it because – you can't wait for the right time. That's another thing. People say, well, I'm just, I got to wait for the right time to write. I wrote The Art of Mackin when I was in my early 20s. Mm. I'm a million years old now. <laughs> but I wrote it in my early 20s. And, you know, I'm at the club, Mackin, you know, yeah. hollering at the ladies. You know, I'm a single bachelor. Mm. So I had to put that aside for like five months and mm-hmm. say, okay, let me discipline myself for five months. Mm-hmm. Get this book out. It's like giving birth. Giving birth is going to hurt for a minute, but after it hurts, that baby that you produce is going to be off the chain. Exactly. And we don't want to put in the discipline a lot of times. It's just like going to the gym. And when you go to the gym, it don't feel good, man. You feel tired, good. you sweating, you take hungry. Too long. It take too long, man. But after you go and you get that workout and you get the pain out the way, you look great, you feel great. Exactly. And that's the same thing with doing something that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Just get out there and do it and stop worrying about the pain because the pain is going to be worth it when you see the fruit of that pain. Oh, man. Never lied about that. Now, Hidden Colors 4. Man. It's on the way. Yes, it is. What are we tackling in this thing? Dude, we're going for the jugular. We're going straight for the neck of white supremacy, dude. Uh-huh. We're getting it in. We are getting it all the way, and we're talking about the religion of white supremacy. Mm. So, brother, we're talking about how religion has been used against black folks. We're going to talk about how the religions that we practice all started from Africa and how it was flipped by the white supremacists into something else and then refashioned to us. Mm-hmm. So we're breaking this all the way down. Mm-hmm. How much flack have you caught out here with your word, mm-hmm. trying to spread the word out here? Because I know mm-hmm. when that word white supremacist rolls off your tongue, yeah. mm-hmm. I know blacks are getting mad and scared, mm-hmm. whites are getting mad and scared, Chinese, everybody getting yeah, mad and scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, like when I do press over here uh-huh. man they cut me off <laughs> they can they can tell when i'm about to go somewhere with it they cut me off so fast they hit a, they like oh we got to go to a commercial mm-hmm. with him but i do international press mm-hmm. and they're more lenient about mm-hmm. what i say I, i've done like man i was over in london i did a big lecture in london i did a lot of press over there so they kind of they let me talk a little bit more about white supremacy because over there they try to make racism an American thing. Mm. Oh, that's just what you guys do over there. But over there in London and England too, they got a lot of racism, white supremacy over there that brothers and sisters are dealing with. But when I talk about racism and white supremacy, black people sometimes do get upset because they're like, Oh, you're going to scare white folks. Now don't, don't, shh. it's that slave thing. Shh. Don't yeah. say that out loud. Now, nah. mm. you know, 
because we are afraid to deal with the problem that's really plaguing us. People want to get off into what about black on black crime and mm-hmm. all of these non sequiturs. But we got to deal with systematic racism. Mm-hmm. Back in the 60s, there was something called the Kerner Report. We mm-hmm. talked about that in Hidden Colors 3, the mm-hmm. Kerner Report that was administered by um, Lyndon B. Johnson. And they even said, with all the riots that's going on in the United States, what's the problem? And the problem is white racism. Mm-hmm. That's the the source of all of this anger and frustration. But they chose not to deal with that. Mm-hmm. They chose what's called a benign neglect policy where they would just ignore black problems and black needs. And they've been doing that to this very day. That's why black issues are never talked about by politicians. Mm-hmm. They always talk about minorities. They might talk about what well, police brutality, but they never say black people are dealing with a problem of racism in this country. They will never address us directly. And we got to stop them from doing that. What are your thoughts about the president? Oh, man. Because I know that's got to be a real touching, difficult subject. Man, it basically was a symbolic thing, mm-hmm. you know, with the president being elected. It was a symbolic thing, and that was good symbolically, mm-hmm. but it didn't trickle down to any progress for the rest of the black society. So the white supremacists know this. They always say, well, we ain't racist. How are we a racist nation? We got a black president. Mm-hmm. Putting one black person in a token position means nothing, and the white supremacists know this. They're quick. White supremacy has refined itself by putting token black people in front so they can hide behind them. That's why when you look at television and news shows, there's always some random black person talking about, well, we black folks need to stop all this crime. These are just puppets of the white supremacists. Mm-hmm. We, I just did a, a, a debate with a dude named Jesse Lee Peterson. I saw that. <laughs> I was on YouTube watching yeah, that. Yeah, man. And I, I just exposed, I got him to finally say, he don't deal with white supremacy. Because <laughs> I kept bringing up white supremacy. He tried to deflect to everything under the sun. I said, brother, all that is caused by white supremacy. How come you don't acknowledge white supremacy? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I don't deal with white supremacy. That's all I need to know. Mm-hmm. We got to understand and not fall for these puppets that's put in our way. I keep my eyes on the people who's pulling the puppet strings, which are the white supremacists. Now, in history, you know, it was a thing called COINTELPRO. Yes, indeed. How do you feel being in a position that you are, knowing how they deal with people mm-hmm. that try to... Yeah, people people ask me that all the time, man. Don't you feel like your life is in danger? Yeah. yeah. But even if I don't do anything, my life is in danger. We getting killed anyway. <laughs> Brother, that's the thing. Black folks think that if we just lay down and stay out of sight, we're going to be safe. Mike Brown was being safe, so to speak. Trayvon Martin was walking home, minding his business. Walter Jordan Davis. His life. Jo- well, man, yeah, like I said, man, we, we, we're getting targeted anyway, no matter what we do. You know, you got little Tamir Rice, little boy who was up in Ohio playing with a toy. He got shot. Walter Scott was running for his life. He got shot. That's right. The brother out in Los Angeles, homeless brother, mm-hmm. he got shot. So no matter what we do, even if we are homeless, they're targeting us. Women, Sister in Los Angeles got beat up by a cop on the freeway. Sister in New York, the cops bust in her house. Whatever we do now, we're getting targeted. There's no respectability politics that we can just engage in or duck and dodge and hide. All of us are vulnerable, no matter if we're poor, no matter if we're rich, no matter if we are the America's dad like Bill Cosby. He's getting targeted. You see what they're doing to him? He was America's dad, non-threatening, the symbol of the non-threatening black man. They're dragging this dude through the mud right now, killing his legacy. Look what they did to Michael Jackson. Killing that. Michael Jackson basically said, I'm going to stay in the house. Nope, you in there molesting, folks. We dragging you through the mud. 
White supremacy don't take no prisoners, bruh. So I might as well stand up yeah. and say, okay, look, if you're going to get us, I'm going to stand up before you get me and, and, and speak out against what's going on. Who are some of the people that you admire that stand up with you with the call? Man, brothers like Umar Johnson, mm-hmm. brilliant brother. Mm-hmm. Shahrazad Ali, who's in the Hidden Colors film, mm-hmm. brilliant sister. Eric Shepard, the brother out here in Georgia, mm-hmm. the brothers down there in Valdosta, he was speaking up against racism. Mm-hmm. They're targeting that young man. He's on the run right now. Mm-hmm. Young brothers like that, we need little warriors like that because we got to protect brothers and sisters like that, yeah. people who want to stand up against what's going on because they know the deal. These are our children. we got to protect them. Do you think that our people will re- will protect our people in those kinds of situations? Because a lot of times you stand up and you left out there to dry. Yeah, yeah. We got to get off that fear thing. We got to get off that fear thing. And that's a real big thing. And that's why, man, you can use your economy Mm -hmm. to protect yourself, just like the mafia, man. The mafia, they were a, well, I won't say were, are a criminal organization. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they were able to last so long and not have the FBI, the FBI started targeting them later, Mm -hmm. but even before the, um, before J. Edgar Hoover died, because J. Edgar Hoover never acknowledged the existence of the mafia, because they they bought him off. They had him paid. You can acknowledge the existence of a black messiah. Oh, man. J. Edgar Hoover targeted every black organization, not some, everyone. He even targeted the NAACP. There were wiretaps on NAACP. There were wiretaps on all the black celebrities that Hoover had. Any black person of note, Hoover targeted them, but would not acknowledge the existence of the mafia. Never even touched them because they had them in um, their back pocket. They understood finances. They knew how to buy off cops, buy off judges, mm-hmm. and circulate their money among themselves. They had a code. Mm-hmm. They had a real strict code of conduct. They had levels of their code, like a made man, mm-hmm. the capo, the don. In order to be a made man, you had to trace your lineage back to Italy. You got to know the person's mama. Mm-hmm. So they had a strict code of conduct, and that's the thing that we're missing. We don't have a code of conduct. We just kind of do stuff. We're the do-anything people, Mm -hmm. and we got to get off that. we got to start getting a code of conduct, and a code of conduct is not difficult to do. We get patterns of behavior all the time. If there's a dance in Atlanta tomorrow, (laughs) that dance will be in L.A. next week. (laughs) You dig? If there's a way somebody's wearing their clothes here, that that style will be in New York next week. So we get patterns that we share with each other, but we won't get a code of conduct that's going to be constructive in the long run. The global impact of hidden color. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel like your movie's being received across the globe, and how do you feel like it's impacting the people? Man, I, I, I do lectures all over the world. I do lecture in Amsterdam, London, all over, and the lectures sell out over there. People out there checking the movie out. People in Asia, they got the movie all over Africa. They're watching the movie. So this movie, it, Hidden Colors, a lot of folks don't know, it's the best-selling African history documentary ever. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. A lot of folks don't know that because they, they don't say that in the mainstream media. When Hidden Colors came out, especially the last one, it was the number one documentary, not black documentary. It outsold everybody's documentary, even the stuff from the History Channel. Mm-hmm. It outsold everybody's stuff for like three months. Mm-hmm. The only reason it, it got off the number one slot is because Robin Williams died, and mm-hmm. there was a documentary about him that yeah. took the number one spot. Yeah. That's yeah. the only reason why. But that movie, fortunately, man, people gravitated to it. And they're receiving it and they're appreciating it. And they're teaching it in schools around the world, too, because that was my main goal, for them to use it in the curriculum. Dealing with hate. Mm-hmm. How do you deal? Because I know you're getting some hate oh, yeah. mail, oh, some hate yeah. tweets, some hate uh, likes and everything else oh, yeah. on social media, YouTube and everything. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that personally, mm-hmm. emotionally, and just how does that affect you? 
most of the haters, these are people, that's part of the whole Cointelpro thing. Mm-hmm. Because Cointelpro, they always had the poison pen letters. Back in the 1960s, they would have different organizations. Telling Dr. King to kill it. Yeah, yeah, telling King to kill it. And this is all coming out now. Yeah. When you look at the documents now, who wasn't an agent? They Every group had an agent back then. They would, the FBI would write little stuff about the Black Panthers and write comic books and stuff like that and put it out and make it seem like other black organizations were doing that. So the white supremacists, they're behind all that stuff. So I'm not shocked. I would be shocked if they weren't doing it. So we keep on progressing and pushing. And the more progress we make, the haters become less effective. How is it when you talk to other black people about what you got going on and when you reach out and when you're telling them what's happening? What kind of resistance are you facing? Or how many people are embracing you with your movement? Man, everybody, a lot of people are embracing it. Mm-hmm. My thing is I want us to embrace stuff faster mm-hmm. because what happens is that we get all this stuff happening at once, mm-hmm. all these riots and all of these incidents where black people are being killed, and we're told to just riot and protest mm-hmm. and march, and that's cool for the attention, mm-hmm. but we have to follow up with something. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get our money game together and actually build in these communities. So I want everybody to follow up on all of the stuff that's going on and empower ourselves economically. How do we get our people to shop with our people? Mm -hmm. Because now we are quick to get some drugs from each other, some entertainment from each other. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to go buy hair from us. Mm -hmm. We're not going to go to your shoe store. Mm -hmm. We're not going to go to your clothing store Mm -hmm. or your grocery store. How do we get people to say, you know what, it's okay to go and shop with my brother? Mm -hmm. We got to stop that slave mentality Mm -hmm. of looking for approval from white mommy and white daddy. The only reason we don't shop with each other is because white mommy and white daddy didn't say it was okay. Mm -hmm. We take our cues from those in the dominant society, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. If somebody in the dominant society says this black person is okay, we'll gravitate towards that person. That's what happened with Obama. No, black folks weren't checking for Obama at first. Let's keep it a buck fifty. I saw a lot of us going with uh, yeah, buck fifty. I saw a lot of us going with Hillary back. Yes, then. indeed. And they didn't want to jump on the ship mm-hmm. until. You know, they knew he was about to win. Yep, but before then, they were like, uh-uh, you didn't come up in the trenches with us. We don't. We ain't messing with you. We don't even know you. Mm-hmm. We riding with Hillary because those cleanse was good to us. Yeah, exactly. Which they weren't, yeah. but you, you did. So many brothers got locked up under Clinton. You understand? I know exactly but, what you're Yes, about. indeed. But when the white supremacists and the white people started co-signing Obama, then we jumped on that bandwagon. And we got to stop taking our cues from those in the dominant society. We got to start making our own decisions and not being afraid to do something that they don't approve. Mm-hmm. For example, man, black empowerment has never been approved by the white society. Mm-hmm. It, it never has been. As a matter of fact, black empowerment has always been detoured mm-hmm. by those in the dominant society. That's why there's so much hate with Mayweather. Mm-hmm. You, you dig? When he won all that money, mm-hmm. he's all these negative articles about him, that ain't about no damn domestic violence, man. There's domestic white celebrities like Christian Bale and, Nicholas Cage, Charlie Sheen, I can go down the Charlie list, man. Yeah. <laughs> Jim crazy. Lampley, yeah. I can go down the list yeah. of white people who done beat up their wives, yeah. done all types of ratchetness. Mm-hmm. They don't say nothing about. So now all of a sudden they're up in arms over Floyd Mayweather mm-hmm. on a charge that he already did time for. Mm-hmm. It's about him being economically empowered. Him and brother named Al Heyman made all that money mm-hmm. independent mm-hmm. of those in the dominant white society. 
They didn't get approval, and they're calling the shots. So now they're trying to thwart that. Even when Oprah started the own network, they were sabotaging Oprah a lot when she started that network because she was cool every day for an hour at 3 o'clock. She was fine, but when she got her own network, they were like, "Uh uh-oh, wait a minute now. So they started sabotaging her for a a little bit. So we got to stop being afraid of being criticized by those in the dominant society and just do what we need to do to empower ourselves. Our celebrities. A lot of people give our celebrities a lot of flack for yeah. not doing, you know, what they feel like they should do. You know, people are dying every day on the news, and you know that your celebrities are seeing this. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I got to applaud Carmelo because he went down there to yeah. Baltimore. Yeah. But you would think that people would say, hey, y'all, stop killing our kids. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. do you think that's not happening? Because they got stuff in the contracts now. There's a book called $40 Million Slave, real good book, mm-hmm. talking about how black athletes. Back in the 60s, you had the Jim Browns. Jim Brown is in Hidden Colors 4, by the way. Oh, man. man. That's yeah. how you feel. Man. We went for the, the jugular, brother. Oh, my God. Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali, and you had all those athletes back in the 60s who mm-hmm. stood up. They were not afraid to stand up. Mm-hmm. So those in the dominant society said, wait, you, you remember in the Olympics, the brothers yep. put that black fist up? Yep. They were down for the cause. The people in the dominant society said, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to give them just a tad bit more money to shut them up a little bit because these people are too influential. They still, to this day, show that brother on that track field Mm -hmm. with his hand up like Mm -hmm. that. That's iconic, and that gave so many people inspiration. And they know that our athletes are very inspirational, and we take cues from them. We look at them and wear their shoe in the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. So they give them – they will overpay a lot of these athletes to be pacified when it comes to black issues. And they have it in their contract. Don't don't speak out. Don't get crazy. That's why Marshawn Lynch got so much flack. Mm-hmm. Because my man was standing up. He shout out to all my real Africans out there. They went in on that brother. Mm-hmm. So we gotta protect our brothers and sisters who do speak out because we talk about what our celebrities should do, but a lot of times when they start attacking them, we leave them out there to dry. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna have our celebrities do stuff for us. We need to circle our wagons around them. Another point. A lot of people say it's classism. Mm. You know, it's a war against the impoverished people, black and white. It don't matter what color you is. If you ain't got enough money, we still trying to milk you dry. Man, the worst type of white supremacist is a broke one. <laughs> Brother, the worst type of racist is a broke one. Mm-hmm. You go to some of these trailer parks in America, they will have Confederate flags and Klan robes all over the place mm-hmm. because white supremacy is all they have to live for. I want black folks to understand that. That makes them wake up in the morning knowing that, oh, I ain't got no money, but I'm better than them. See, black folks, we got a glass ceiling. The white supremacists, they got a glass floor. They won't let them go to a certain level. Even if they're broke, they can still get privileges that are not allowed for black society. And that's good enough for a lot of people. Just like a lot of the, during the Civil War, man, you had poor white people fighting to keep slavery. That was hurting them economically because that was taking money out of their pockets. That was destroying the labor, the the fighting because they weren't they money wasn't being circulated. You know, to have a, a person enslaved, that was just money in your pocket, the slave owner's pocket. So that was killing the economy. The the Civil War had nothing to do with freeing no slaves. They could care less about a slave. They didn't care about that. They just cared about the economy and how they could save the economy. Do you think that we can be inclusive in bringing 
poverty-stricken whites and blacks together on a movement that just for empowerment, just for people that don't have nothing in general. Well, the thing is, we got to start empowering ourselves first because okay. we've always tried that. We've always said, okay, let's try to be all-inclusive, and that's our problem. We try to be inclusive, and what happens, people rise up on our backs and then leave us hanging. We try to do that with the Hispanic community. We always say, well, blacks and Hispanics, blacks and Hispanics. Hispanic community, they don't say nothing about us when they have their meetings, when some money is coming. They don't mention us at all. The Native American, the so-called Native American tribes, when they get billions of dollars in tax money and all that, our name don't come up at all. In the gay lesbian community, when they start getting stuff, our name don't come up. The white feminist movement, they don't do nothing for black women. So we got to stop being Captain save them for every other group and start saving ourselves. <laughs> I feel you on that. Now, before we get up out of here, what are some of the things that we need to do to save ourselves? And then we're going to hit that hidden colors for one more time. Yes, indeed. Now, number one, man, we got to get a code of conduct with mm. each other. Understand your history. We need to start teaching ourselves, teaching our children. When the Japanese were thrown in internment camps and they were disenfranchised by the dominant society, they started to teach themselves and educate their children and learn industry and learn how to do industry for themselves. They would get certain um, machinery and break it down, learn how it worked, and then do it themselves, and they became a billion, trillion-dollar powerhouse. We got to start doing the same. We got to start circulating money with each other. We got to start owning something. If you own nothing, you're always going to be vulnerable. We got to stop being model employees because that day is over. We're not getting hired like we used to in the 1970s when they had factories all over the place. That's those days are over. They know that we're economically weak and they're using our impoverished status to throw us in the prison system. So we got to understand that there's a war going on and we have to protect ourselves against that war. And the best way to do that is through economics. Hidden Colors 4, what can we expect from it? And I mean, what are the topics that you're hitting on there, man? Man, Hidden Colors 4, we're talking about religion. We're talking about different ways that we've been economically disenfranchised. Mm. We're talking about Africa a lot because a lot of us don't really understand what's happening in Africa. We know we, nothing. We about know Africa. nothing about what's happening over there. And Africa is is almost a hundred percent colonized still. Mm-hmm. It's independent on paper, but we really have to understand the situation and stop being afraid of Africa, stop being ashamed of Africa, mm-hmm. because we don't know the whole story. We're gonna talk about that in Hidden Colors Four. We don't know about so many great things that were done over here by black folks because that's hidden. I, I just found out, I knew there was a black-owned airline right here in Atlanta. There was Air Atlanta. A lot of black folks didn't know about it. Black-owned airline. And I was talking to Dennis Kimbrough. There was another one, black-owned airline, called Piedmont Airline. I just found out about this today. So our history is all over the place, and we don't know this stuff. So that's what we're bringing in Hidden Colors. That's why the information is hidden. That's why we call it Hidden Colors because we're taking it out of hiding and putting it out there to the forefront. Now, I'm going to have to ask you this from a business standpoint and just a hustling standpoint. Yes, sir. How could you take a grassroots movement Mm -hmm. and turn it into the monster that it is right now? Man, most movements, man, that will be Mm self-sustaining starts from the grassroots. When you see something that comes from the top, it's it's suspicious. When they had that Coney, you remember that Coney, (laughs) fine Coney jive? They had one day off the blue Puff Daddy, Rihanna, Drake, everybody (laughs) tweeting about some Coney. So that was something that came from the top, Mm -hmm. and that's suspicious. And we found out that it was a whole farce later on down the line. Mm -hmm. Movements start from the grassroots, man. Mm -hmm. When you have a grassroots movement, it gains momentum. 
that's going to stick around. That's going to make history. Dr. King, that movement was a grassroots movement. The, the Montgomery marches and the boycott, that was a grassroots movement. And that's what we have to go back to. We got to stop taking our cues from corporate America because, again, we look at stuff on TV and follow everything that they say on television. We got to understand if you see something on television first, nine times out of ten, it's a lie. Mm -hmm. You have to start communicating with each other on a street level, one on one, Mm -hmm. like we did back in the day to get information to each other so that we can build from there. Another question, the music. I just had Timo Good in here the other day, and I mean that Soul Food album talked a lot. Mm. It was basically Hidden Colors soundtrack Man. back in '96. Indeed, those brothers were spitting. What do you think about the music now, and how can we get our youth to make that same kind of music again? But I know when I talked to Gip about it, he was like, "B, we got banned. Mm. We were making this music. They were banning us from the radio after a while because once they realized what we were really saying, yeah. they had to put a stop to it." Why don't Man. you think that the youth are making that kind of music now? Well, the How thing is, we get them to be more conscious, brother. You, when NWA and I'm from LA, I was around them in NWA at the time when their first album came out, straight out of Compton. Mm-hmm. That was a conscious record when mm-hmm. you really listen to it. Mm-hmm. F the police, all that. That was a really conscious record. They were talking about some deep stuff when that came out. Mm-hmm. That's why they were getting letters from the FBI mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. This is why they got censored with the stickers and even Luther Campbell. They were trying to use the facade of obscenity. They didn't want to see a black man make all that money because Luther Campbell owned his record label at the time and he owned his masters. That's what they were really upset with. And they were making all of that money. So they had to close it down and and, and put him in jail with the facade of being obscene. So anytime we do something independent of those in the dominant society, that's going to be a threat. So KRS-One, he's been in my movies. That's right. That brother was breaking down conscious game. He's the truth. He started off with gangster rap. The mm-hmm. Criminal Minded was a gangster rap album. Then he flipped once he got the audience. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. And was very influential. Mm-hmm. So they said, okay, we ain't putting that type of stuff out no more. <laughs> and they, they tried to shut that down. So on a grassroots level with um, Kendrick Lamar, Mm-hmm. He's being conscious in his stuff. Now, what do you think about with Kendrick? Because Kendrick straight up flipped it on them. After he got everybody's ear, he said, okay, y'all, here's the vegetables. Boom. Yes, uh, he did. I ain't giving y'all no more candy. Yeah. It's time for dinner. Yes, indeed. And my man did it the right way. Oh, he, he got did. that audience and totally flipped, and that brother got deep on him. Yeah. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. That's how we got to learn how to play the game with them, man. And we got to be very strategic with how we do this stuff. Because, again, when you come in the door like that, they ain't going to let you come in the door like that. <laughs> they go out of their way to not let you come in the door yeah, like exactly. that. But once you get in there, once you get a foothold, once you get some panache in the game, then you flip it, and then you do something for the community. How can folks reach you and get down with your movement or just reach out to you? Man, they can reach out to me at Twitter, at Tariq Nasheed. Go to HiddenColorsFilm.com to get all three films. Also, I got a nonprofit organization. We do stuff for everybody in the black community. Melanoidnation.org. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when black folks are getting harmed and their children are getting killed, we pay for people's funerals. Mm-hmm. We bail people out of jail. We do a lot of stuff. We need that. And my um, foundation is also a think tank to come up with solutions to empower us economically. We even give out um, microloans to black businesses, too. Mm-hmm. So Melanoidnation.org. Also, follow me on Instagram at Tariq Elite. Some of the pictures are a little ratchet on there. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> y'all see some, some ratchetness and be like, hey, he was talking real deep and I just saw some ratchet. Don't be shocked because I ain't this You're deep human. all the time. I'm human. You dig? I'm not Malcolm Flex. I'm King Flex. 
<laughs> yes, sir. And what's next for you, man? Man, we're going to knock this Hidden Colors 4 out, man. I'm going on tour this summer. I got a lot of tour dates around the country lecturing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be, where am I going to be? I'm going to, I might be down here in Atlanta. We're looking for a venue down here. Okay. I'm going to be in Nebraska, going to be in Philly, D.C., and Detroit. And I got other movies that we're doing, too. So I'm just grinding with it. Okay. Now, what are the other movies? Are they on something different? Or no, something different. Now, yeah, yeah, no, no. I do all types of movies. We got okay. a horror movie. I got like a- Get out of uh, yeah. here, man. I got a horror movie called The Eugenist. You can see that on- um, Yeah, yeah, it's deep. We Ooh. shot it here in Atlanta, by the way. We shot that a couple of years ago. It's on iTunes. Okay. Yes, indeed. So uh, we do other movies. I have a full-fledged film company. Okay. Yes, indeed. Dig it. Yes, sir. My man. Right. My man. Appreciate you coming man. to me. Man. Yeah, man. Wish you nothing but the best and much man. success. Much respect.